One morning, I awoke from a dream and burst out laughing. I cannot remember where I was exactly in my life at the, at the time. I was either working as a young adult and campus ministry coordinator in San Diego. Maybe I had started seminary already. I'm, I'm not quite sure. What I can remember is that I was deeply connected to this UU faith. It had already transformed my spiritual journey. But that doesn't mean that I felt mm, competent to do what it calls me to do. In the dream, my uh, United Church of Christ minister brother and I were at a week-long conference. The dream was quite involved. I don't remember all the details, just that there was a lot going on. And near the end of the dream, just before I woke up, all the conference attendees had gathered in the dining hall for a closing session and our last meal together. In the middle of the room was a square of, uh, for serving food, like a buffet, surrounded by the dining chairs and tables. But the conference attendees were joining in a Congo line of sorts around this buffet square, singing a call and response as to what we were committing to. Everyone seemed very into it. So I joined in and I soon got caught up in that line of singers and dancers, movers and shakers. And I realized the call and response song was asking for commitment. Who will go and do this? Who will go and do that? The song asked. And I realized they were asking, who will go and work for justice? And me singing to the top of my lungs belted out in this dream, it ain't me, it ain't me. And that's when I woke up and burst out laughing. One thing you may need to know that is that in my family, my mother never wanted us to use the word ain't. So when I do use it, I'm breaking all kinds of familial norms and understandings and agreements. So the fact that it came out in my dreams was more than funny to me. And the other thing that the dream revealed to me was the conflict that I felt at knowing how to work for justice that this faith calls us to do. Who will go and work for justice? It ain't me. It felt so good to be clear, to know that I would not be doing whatever it was they were asking of me. And yet, here I am, a minister in a faith and in a congregation that proclaims love and justice as its core, ministering to and for and with all of you. So really, here we are trying to figure this all out. So instead of, it ain't me, it is me, and it is us. This sermon is supposed to be a follow-up to last week's sermon by Alan Bentkovsky, Be Curious, Not Judgmental. I've heard that that sermon has resulted in a great deal of reflection on many people's parts. And I know I've been thinking about it. A few months ago, Alan and I had a very brief, really too brief conversation about cancel culture. 
Cancel culture, sometimes used interchangeably with call-out culture, I thought I understood it, but like most things these days, what it means and how it manifests changes pretty quickly. And certainly now, thanks to those on the far right, it has more of a negative connotation. You probably participated in a form of cancel culture or form of canceling if ever you've boycotted a company for any reason. I know I still avoid using Nestle products and that boycott was at least 30 years ago. And you know what? Uh, as it turns out, I'm not so wrong about that. I'm not going to try to explain all the ins and outs of cancel culture in this sermon as they say, GTS, Google that stuff. And I really am inviting you to go home and take some time to explore it if you haven't already. What you will find, like most things, is some back and forth about it. But how it started and at its best, it's used to name inequality and injustice and to hold people, corporations, and organizations accountable. It's a brilliant strategy used by marginalized people to stand up to those with power. And in the world and culture of social media and the human tendency towards superiority to choose a punitive response, it can be toxic. Adrienne Marie Brown <clears throat> penned an essay, or a few essays really, that she compiled in, and put into a very concise book titled, We Will Not Cancel Us. It's less than 100 pages and it's worth our time. In this book, she talks about transformative justice, not just restorative justice, but transformative justice and not punitive justice. She talks about how we can turn from a system of punishment to a culture of community care for all. Those may be my words and not hers. It gave me a great deal to think about just a caveat that some of what she and other black indigenous people of color write about is for white people to witness and learn from and not comment on. It's not necessarily for white people, but I, th I think we can benefit, I as a white person can benefit and learn from it. And that a strategy of emergence can and needs to be what we're using right now. Here are Adrienne Marie Brown's words. We will not cancel us. We will not cancel us. We hurt people. Of course we did. We are human. We were traumatized, socialized away from interdependence. We learned to hide everything real, everything messy, weak, complex. We learned that fakeness hurts, but it's acceptable. Our swallowed pain made us worthless or depressed or untrustworthy or paranoid or impotent or egomaniac. We moved with the herd or became isolationist and contrary, perhaps even controversial. We disappointed each other at the level of race, gender, species. In a vast way, we longed for more from us, but we will not cancel us. Canceling is punishment 
and punishment doesn't stop the cycle of harm, not long term. Cancellation may even be counter-abolitionist. Instead of prison bars, we place each other in an overflowing box of untouchables, often with no trial, and, we, and strips, strip us of past and future, of the complexity of being gifted and troubled, brilliant and broken. We will set down this punitive measure and pick each other up leaving no traumatized person behind. We will not cancel us, but we must learn our place on this earth. We will tell each other we hurt people and who. We will tell each other why and who hurt us and how. We will tell each other what we will do to heal ourselves and heal our wounds in our wake and the wounds that we have made in our wake. We will be accountable, rigorous in our accountability, all of us unlearning, all of us crawling towards dignity. We will learn to set and hold boundaries, communicate without manipulation, give and receive consent, ask for help, love our shadows without letting them rule our relationships and remember we are of earth of miracle of a whole of a massive river of love life life love what a covenant we all have work to do our work is in the light we have no perfect moral ground to stand on, shaped as we are by this toxic, complex time. We may not have time or emotional capacity to walk each path together. We are all flailing in the unknown at the moment, terrified, stretched beyond ourselves, ashamed, realizing the future is in our hands. We must all do our work be accountable, and go heal simultaneously, continuously. It is never too late. <clears throat> we will not cancel us. If we give up this strategy, we will learn together the other strategies that will ultimately help us break these cycles, liberate future generations from the burden of our shared and private pain leaving nothing unspeakable in our bones, no shame in our dirt. Each of us is precious. We together must break every cycle that makes us forget this. Adrian Marie Brown. Please don't listen to this and think that people should not be held accountable. She said exactly the opposite and laid out a way for us to do that. We should be held accountable. Here's the thing about supremacy, white supremacy, the patriarchy, colonization, and imperialism. It hurts all of us. Black indigenous people of color also have work to do to, to dismantle it inside themselves. And that's where I believe that we can and should come together as Unitarian Universalists finding ways to do this work together. Make no mistake, this is spiritual work, a journey toward wholeness for all of us. 
it's pretty scary. We may be uncomfortable. We may feel guilty and horrible. We may be weary and worried, but it may also help us feel more connected to our own inner lives and to each other. And there is joy waiting for us to find in this process. What does doing this work look like? It looks like being curious and not judgmental. Curious enough to Google that stuff, terms and definitions. It looks like watching movies and reading books by authors who are people of color, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning. It looks like being open and vulnerable. It looks like learning how to feel again. It looks like when a workshop or a class is offered that you sign up and show up and that we keep showing up. And it looks like when we feel hurt, we say something. If we have a marginalized identity, then if we are of the, of the dominant culture, we listen and believe their story. And if we are of the dominant culture and we need to share our pain, we find another person in the dominant culture to do that with. It looks like speaking out and speaking up and writing and calling and emailing Congress people. And maybe it looks like committing to you, you, the vote, which begins today at 4 p.m. online. It also looks like transformation. That's the work of church, of congregational life. With each new person who arrives, our congregation changes and shifts. And this work we do together, the spiritual path that we can follow, should at the very least be transformational. Someone on Tumblr whose first name is Rachel and who uses the name Tikkun Ola Morg TFO on Tumblr writes, I don't think a lot of people understand that no matter how progressive or well-read you are, there are always going to be moments in your life where somebody pushes back against something that's so culturally ingrained, you never even considered it before. And you'll say, huh, it never occurred to me to challenge this, but you're right. And that doesn't mean that we were morally toxic before. It means we're a non-omniscient human capable of growth. Also, some preferred terms for things will change and evolve, and terms we prefer now might eventually be considered gauche or even offensive, and that doesn't mean we were bigots at the time for using them. It means we evolved as a society and chose new terminology to reflect that change. Nobody is a fully formed realization of progressivism that can predict all shifts and modes of thought. The world will always change, and hopefully you will too. This is built into who we are as Unitarian Universalists. We have a long line of adaptation and change that when new information comes along, that we're the ones that say, our faith that's built in that says, okay, yes, now we do this. 
So one thing I've noticed about liberation work in UU congregations is that women show up to do this work far more often than men do. Yes, men, this is a call out. I get it, I do, it's risky. It makes sense that if you and your life and your needs have always been centered, that it feels weird not to be in the center. We're so used to whiteness and masculinity being centered that we assume that they are the default settings. And often that limits our thinking and how we find value in other things. But this faith calls us to do this work of love and justice and I hope you'll say yes to it. So rather than calling you out, I'm calling you in, back into community, all of us, back into community, back into liberation, back into the collective, back into wholeness for yourself. That's how we transform call out culture. We call each other back in. We don't let each other go. We don't throw each other away. This feels vulnerable to share. I've shared it before and it felt like people just didn't quite get what I was trying to say. But I want you to know of a promise that I made to myself, to the universe, to the collective, to love several years ago. I promised myself not to cancel anyone, to not throw anyone away. I promised specifically to love men, especially white men. Now I promise to love all of us, so don't feel left out if you don't fall into this category. But I promised to love white men because I realized that they were my father, my brothers, my husband. And yes, congregants. And eventually, we all have to come along on this journey of liberation. It doesn't mean that the work can't get done or that it's dependent on you for transformation and change. I just promise you that if you do it, you'll feel a lot better than if, than if you stay where you are. If we're going to reach the land of justice and freedom, we will have to know and understand that we belong to each other, that we are each other's companions along the way. We're each other's business. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's magnitude and bond. So I hope you will join in this calling to love and justice by being brave, by showing up, by learning, by letting yourself be in the discomfort until the light dawns and you awaken to a new way of being in the world. Until with joy, we together claim that, joy, that growing light. Can we be curious together? Can we go together to that land of love and justice and freedom? I ask that humbly and wholeheartedly. Blessed be and amen.